0: Good morning everybody. How are you doing today? It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, I invite you just to uh, stand as we get into worship this morning. We get into the service. Also hello to everybody online. I can't see you but I'm sure you're there smiling, having a great time. Uh, Stand up as well if you need to. Dance around, jump around, clap your hands, do whatever you need to do uh, as we, uh, we just get into it this morning.
1: We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. We open the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, oh my God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, we shout out your praise. And we sing to the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Because he hung up on that cross, and he rose up from that grave, oh my God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord Our God is surely in this place We won't be quiet We shout out your praise And we were the beggars And now we're royalty We were the prisoners And now we're running free We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace Let the house of the Lord sing praise We are the beggars, and now we're royalty We were the prisoners, and now we're running free We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house in the Lord. There's joy in the house in the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout
0: House in the morning, isn't there? It's okay to get excited about about God and what He's doing. Amen.
1: Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, oh, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. As we sing holy, holy, holy and Open the eyes of my heart, Lord and Open the eyes of my heart I want to see eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want Glory pour out your power in love as we sing, Holy, Holy.
2: Amen. That's our prayer this morning, that we would just experience God in a, in a tangible and powerful way, that uh, we can see his, his work in our life and even in this service this morning. Why don't you take a few moments, say hi to somebody around you. Maybe it's someone you've never seen before, or someone you haven't seen in a while, or maybe it's someone who, who sits in that seat every single week. Why don't you take a moment to do that? All right, thank you. You may be seated well, good morning and uh, welcome to the service this morning. I want to welcome all of you who have gathered here and welcome those of you who are watching from elsewhere today. We're glad that you're here to worship together and to, to experience the presence of God and to, to hear from him and learn from him and uh, to be changed by him. So we're just very excited that you can be here and join us today in whichever way You're doing that. For those of you who are here, if this is your first time, uh, we're excited that you're here. We want to be able to come alongside you, serve you, uh, help you in any way that we can, and so the best way we... We found to do that is to ask you if you would fill out a card that you'll find in the chair pocket in front of you. We call it a connection card if you'd fill that out. And then at the end of the service, if you go by the information desk in the foyer, you can leave it there. If you have any questions, they'll do their best to answer them. And uh, there's a small gift there for you as well. So uh, we're delighted you're here and uh, we just want to be able to uh, encourage you, help you in any way that we can couple of uh, announcements this morning. First of all, I want to thank you for uh, your participation in uh, collecting uh, funds to uh, support the Indigenous children in Northern Ontario with the backpacks. We sponsored a grade one class of boys and girls. And to let you know, we have now reached the full capacity of that. We've had all the bags sponsored. So thank you very much for that and for your generosity and your support once again uh, this year. So... Those bags will be making the trek north in early August, so uh, thank you for that. Also, just to let you know, next Sunday is, uh, we're going to be doing an ice cream social after the service. So uh, just, to, just to let you know that, just to keep that in mind, and uh, we're going to be doing that right after the service next Sunday morning. Also just want to say, you know, we're in, we're in this summer season, and it's an unusual summer season, even in comparison to most summer seasons, and between, uh, you know, heightened numbers of COVID and vacations and all the things that are happening, we just find ourselves on a weekly basis just kind of reshuffling everything, trying to find people to fit into all the different spaces that are needed to, to make a service and a gathering like this possible, and so uh, I just want to, I'm saying that for two reasons. Number one, because I want to say thank you to all of you who have been just so patient and so loyal and so committed to the sacrifices of, you know, sometimes multiple weeks in a row serving in a capacity, trying to get us through this season. I know some of my colleagues, uh, they've had to, like, you know, last week, couldn't do live stream because they didn't have the people to do it, so they had to cancel live streams and so on. We came really close, but, uh, but we didn't have to do it. So just thank you for, uh, you know, so many of you have been so faithful and you're working so hard and you're filling roles everywhere to get us through this, this crunch in this season. So thank you. And then for those, the rest of us is just a reminder of just the patience of, you know, we're, we're getting there and it's, it's going to take some time, but, but thank you for that. Kids, you are free to go. You can come over here to the side and meet volunteers. I'm going to hand it back to Andrew, and we're going to receive the morning tithes and offerings at this time. You can place your envelope uh, in the plate, or if you wish, you can send an e-transfer at giving at Thank you. God bless you. Andrew, you can take it from here.
0: As we get back into worship, it's, uh, we're going to be doing a song that might be a little unfamiliar or, or new to, to some of you. Uh, as I was you know preparing for this Sunday and, and thought of this song and, and how it represents even what's going to be spoken about this week about, about Jesus being a light in the darkness, uh, I actually found that it, it also encapsulated what was spoken about last week uh, about how Jesus gives freedom. For the captives and and for how much forgiveness we've been given, and so uh, I hope that as you hear the lyrics and, and begin to maybe learn the song, would you be reminded of of not just uh, what's going to be spoken about today about how Jesus is a light in the darkness that you would you would reflect on that, but also what was spoken about last week about how Jesus Jesus has given us forgiveness, how He has given. Freedom to the captives, freedom to us from our captivity, from our sin and shame. And, uh, yeah,
1: there's no darkness you see. no question in your mind, O God Almighty, God of mercy. There's no hiding from your face. There's no striving those who mourn for the broken hearted we sing louder release from prison and shame oppression turning to praise for every captive sing louder restoring sight to the blind breaking the curse of the night for all in darkness Sing louder, proclaiming freedom for all. In your way so have your way Lord have your way. Together, wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship, here I am to bow. here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together. Together, wonderful
0: to me. Jesus, this morning, as we just remember the price that you've paid, God, we are so thankful for all that you've done. God, thank you for, for setting us free. God, for giving us forgiveness that just goes beyond understanding, Lord. God, thank you for being the light in the darkness. The light that, that shines through the darkness, God. That even when we find ourselves in that place, that God, that there's no darkness that can cover your light, God. So thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. For your sacrifice on the cross, God. That paid for our sin that covered our shame, that set us free. Thank you, God, for guiding us through the dark, for being by our side every step. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for all that you do. And thank you for this morning as we're able to gather. Amen.
2: Our scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You may be seated. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. One of the highlights of for our family when we visit Newfoundland in the summer is whale watching. Now, while seeing these massive whales up close is the highlight of the adventure, the boat also takes you to beside what's called the Witless Bay uh, Ecological Reserve. And the Whitless Bay Ecological Reserve is made up of four very small islands. But these four small islands boast the largest colony of Atlantic puffins in North America. And so each summer, hundreds of thousands of seabirds migrate to these four small islands to nest and raise their young before returning to sea. When the young puffins are mature enough to fly, they set out on their own, and they leave the island at night because they follow the light of the moon toward the open ocean, and they will stay out there for two to three years. Once they're two or three years old, they make their way back to the islands to breed. Now, the four islands that make up the Whitless Bay ecological reserve are actually very close to the shoreline, which is populated with small communities, communities that are filled with artificial light. And the artificial light often creates confusion for the young puffins. So instead of following the light of the moon out to the open ocean, they follow the artificial light toward the shore. And as a result, Environmentalists have created what is known as the Puffin Patrol. The Puffin Patrol. And what that is, is the general public can actually sign up to be a part of it. And each night, the Puffin Patrol walks through the towns, finding these wayward baby puffins. And then they're rescued and tagged. And then they're returned back to the island the next morning, hoping that they make their way eventually in the right direction. Being drawn to the wrong source of light creates a significant threat to the puffin population. And so today we're going to be talking about the true light. And this is the third week of our four-week series, which we've entitled True to His Word, based on Luke chapter 4. Jesus standing in In the synagogue, he's reading Isaiah 61, declaring what the kingdom of God is all about, what his mission is, and subsequently, what our mission is. And so throughout this series, we've been taking each of the statements that Jesus made in Luke 4, and we're considering how he fulfilled each one of these, showing that Jesus is true to his word, that he said he would do it, And he did it. And so in week one, we started with proclaiming good news to the poor. Week two, we considered, which was last week, freedom to the captives. Today, we're going to focus on recovery of sight for the blind. And today, as we walk our way through this, we'll be reminded that Jesus is the light of the world who brings hope and joy where there is distress and darkness. So as we've done in the last couple of weeks, let's begin with the context. Now we said this series is based on Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61. So what you have here is something that is common throughout Scripture, is that you have Scripture that's quoting other Scripture. And that's what we have in Luke chapter 4. It's important for us as we read this and try to understand it That we try to put ourselves in the sandals of a first century Jew, sitting in the synagogue service and hearing these words read by Jesus. They knew the message of the book of Isaiah, they knew the significance of these verses in terms of the long awaited Messiah, they knew what these verses meant. But it's also important that we understand the context of Isaiah as a whole so we can better understand what these verses mean. The book of Isaiah is a prophecy regarding Israel, specifically regarding judgment that was about to come upon Israel. Isaiah was a prophet during a time of significant political unrest The Assyrians were threatening many nations, and Israel was included in the nations that were being threatened. And so the understanding when the nation of Israel was created was that God would lead them and God would protect them as long as they put their trust in him, as long as they were faithful to him. But Israel became afraid of the surrounding threats, and they began to form political alliances with other nations in an attempt to be secure. Alliances that God didn't want them to make. Alliances that demonstrated that they didn't really trust that God would protect them, that they had to take things into their own hands. Alliances that demonstrated that they were no longer faithful to God. In fact, many of them even turned to idol worship as they formed these alliances. And so in Isaiah 6, where we read about the call of Isaiah to be the prophet, you know, what we see here is that, you know, God is calling him to warn the people that, you know what, this is what you've done and this is what's going to happen because of what you've done. But when God is calling Isaiah, he said, listen, you need to understand something. You are going to speak, but they're not going to listen. You're going to speak, but they're not going to listen. They're going to hear what you're saying But they're not going to apply it to their lives. They're not going to even be able to understand it. And so throughout the book of Isaiah, this idea of blindness is used as spiritual symbolism all through the book. That the eyes of the people were clouded by by their sin, by their political alliances, by their decisions, and they can no longer see God for who he is. And so Isaiah prophesied that Israel as a result of this, would be taken into captivity because they were spiritually blind. But even though he's prophesying that this is going to happen to them, his message is also a message of hope because what he's telling them is that this may be what's going to happen to you in the near future, but down the road, you have a future that is filled with hope because at some point, a Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And when that happens, people living in darkness will see a great light. Not an artificial light, like they had been following, but the true light. And when the Messiah comes, it says he will release them from their darkness by opening their spiritual eyes. And so while healing physical blindness is something the Messiah would do, And it is something Jesus did. The focus of Isaiah is not on physical blindness. It's on spiritual blindness. And the Jews who were sitting there that day, hearing Jesus read Isaiah 61 and proclaiming that he was the one who would fulfill that prophecy, they knew exactly what was going on here. They knew exactly what was being said. They knew what this day meant. Light. So, our scripture today. In our scripture today, Jesus announces that he is. He announced that he is the long-awaited light that had come. Our scripture today in John eight took place during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Now, if you read the backstory. Jesus' brothers tried to get him to go right from the very beginning. He said, no, it's not, that's not the best plan for me. And so Jesus deliberately arrived partway through the celebration. The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of, of in Israel, of God's leading of Israel through the wilderness. God's presence protecting them, guiding them with a cloud by day and fire by night small booths were made and many of the pilgrims lived in these small booths remembering the days of their ancestors in the wilderness creating these shelters for themselves four large bowls were placed on top of tall pillars in the temple court in the court of the women because that was a place where both men and women could gather everybody was welcome in the court of the women. And so these four large bowls were placed on the top of four very tall, large pillars. Young, four young men from the priestly group would climb these ladders each day and they would fill the bowls with oil and they would put wicks that were made from the discarded clothes of the priest into these bowls and they would light the wicks and the light from these bowls would just illuminate the courtyard at night And the people would dance and sing each night all the way till dawn. The goal of the really spiritual people was, you know, we haven't slept during the whole festival. We've just been to the party, we've been dancing, we've been singing, we've been celebrating all during the feast. Now each night, the celebration would officially be ended with the priest blowing a ram's horn and declaring, we are Yahweh's, our eyes are directed at Yahweh. In other words, in other words, we are looking towards God. We see God. We see God. The light symbolized the Shekinah glory of God that protected them, that saved them, that guided them in the wilderness. And the lights glowed every night, with the exception of the final night. The final night at the close of the feast, the light was not lit. It had, the light had gone out at that point. And so the timing of our scripture is the Feast of the Tabernacles had just ended and darkness had engulfed the courtyard. And many people were still present in the courtyard and Jesus was there with them as well. And so Jesus had been teaching and the people were amazed at him and as he's sitting there, and these people have gathered, and many are still in the courtyard, even though officially the celebration has ended, Jesus in the darkness calls out. And what he calls out is this I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The use of the words I am was a declaration of his divinity, that he was God. He's declaring that he is the light that was prophesied of in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, of a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He is declaring that the light had come. And the light would open their eyes from spiritual darkness and blindness. And we're told they marveled at his teaching because as he taught them and as he declared and as they saw and witnessed his authority, their spiritual eyes began to open. The darkness began to lift and the light was coming in. He had said he would open their eyes and and here he is being true to his word and their their lives are being changed. The artificial light from the bowls had been extinguished, but the light of the world was present right there with them in the midst of of the darkness thirdly witness now what i find most interesting here is in this whole section only one of the nine verses focus on jesus being the light of the world one verse focuses on jesus declaration to be the light of the world and eight verses focus on the pharisees response to what jesus just said Now, it's important to highlight that the Pharisees just heard Jesus use the words, I am. And they know what that, they knew what that meant. They heard Jesus declare to the crowd that had gathered that he is the light of the world. And they also knew what that meant. Yet they didn't want to accept that Jesus was the Messiah They didn't want to accept that Jesus was the promise of light in the darkness that Isaiah had talked about because Jesus was a threat to their artificial spirituality. Jesus challenged the spiritual culture that they had created. They had their ideas, they had their priorities, and Jesus' ideas and Jesus' priorities opposed theirs. And they really didn't know how to respond to Jesus or what to do with Jesus. They were frustrated with Jesus. And when they were, they often defaulted to the very thing they did best twisting the scriptures to make the scriptures support what they wanted the scriptures to say. They weren't teachable. They could not fathom for one moment that their thinking could be wrong. They couldn't comprehend that their understanding of Scripture was wrong. They had no interest in growing in their understanding of God. They already had it all figured out. So instead of responding to Jesus' comment and entering into a dialogue about, okay, so you say you're the light, help us understand why you're the light and what does that mean and all of that stuff. No, they focused on a technicality in Scripture in an attempt to discredit Jesus and deflect what made them feel uncomfortable. Now, in Jewish law, witnesses were very important. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it outlines that two witnesses were absolutely necessary, that one witness was not valid. And that's why when Jesus sent people out, he sent them out in twos, right? They went out in twos as a minimum because of this whole idea of witnesses. And so one witness is not valid. It must be at least two. And so that's where the Pharisees decided to focus, Jesus is making a declaration about being God, about being the long-awaited Messiah from, from Isaiah, that he is the light of the world, that makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't like it. They don't know what to do with it. So they begin to focus on a technicality of witnesses. And they said, well, you know, okay. Well, since there's only one witness, because you're only witnessing for yourself, then what you're saying can't be valid. And so then Jesus confronted their process of judging. And he said, you're just judging on what you think you see. They don't know him. They didn't know where he came from. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know who he was. They were living in darkness. But he knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. And he knew who he was. And he made that very clear to them. And then Jesus did What Jesus does best, he took their argument and he turned it toward them. And he said, your law says two witnesses are needed. Okay, so that's the point you're arguing. And you're saying that it's not valid here because I'm the only witness. Well, he said, let me set the record straight. There's actually two witnesses here. There are two witnesses. The father who sent me is a witness. And I am a witness. So see, there's two witnesses. There's two witnesses. And they said, well, where is your father? Now, it's important for us to understand that they're not asking him to go get your father and ask him to step up so, you know, the second witness can be identified. They know who Jesus is. Pharisees, were rural spiritual leaders, not the city Jerusalem leaders. They were there for the same reason Jesus was there. They are familiar with Jesus. They are watching Jesus. They know his backstory. They know who he is. They know his story. And they know that Mary was pregnant prior to marrying Joseph. They would know that. And in Eastern culture, to question a man's paternity would be a slur against his legitimacy. And that's why, even in, in some other places, they say to him, Aren't you just Joseph's son? They're making a slur against them. Wink, wink, we know the story. And so, what they're saying is, No one really knows who your real father even is. We know the rumors about your mother's pregnancy. You're not the Messiah, you're just an illegitimate child. And Jesus replied, you don't know me or the Father. In other words, you are spiritually blind. As we read through this story, I believe there are two important applications that we can draw. The first is discomfort. Have you ever been sleeping and you've been woken up in the middle of the night by someone turning a light on? Like the whole room just, just, gets so bright. And have you ever said these words, right? Turn off the lights because it's so uncomfortable. It's so intrusive. You're sleeping, it's dark, and the lights came on. Or have you ever said the statement, just give me a minute. I I need to adjust. I need to adjust to the light. I think we've all had those moments. Because when you've been in the darkness for a period of time, it takes a moment to adjust to the light. In fact, when you've been in the dark, light is not really appreciated. It's just really not appreciated. It's intrusive. It's uncomfortable for us. And so the same is true when it comes to the light of truth. When Jesus comes to us as the light of the world, sometimes his light is viewed as intrusive. Sometimes his light makes us feel really uncomfortable. And the truth is, most of us do not like to be made to feel uncomfortable. We just don't. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. Most of us do not celebrate moments of being spiritually uncomfortable. And because of that, we tend to create responses to help us avoid the uncomfortable experience of the light shining on our darkness. Now, for those who are not followers of Jesus, the response to the light can be a denial of a need for Jesus. I don't don't need Jesus. I don't need him in my life. It can be deflecting the blame on the church and the followers of Jesus. I don't want to be a part of Jesus. I mean, look at the church. That's just filled with hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. And look what they've done. And look, you know, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Or even getting to the point where it's like, I don't even believe there is a God. And so that's how many who don't follow Jesus respond to the light when his light shines on them. It makes them feel uncomfortable and they find ways to deflect the light so it doesn't expose them. As followers of Jesus, I would hope that our desire is to grow spiritually. As followers of Jesus, we want to be formed into the image of Jesus. We we want to be like him. We want to be like Jesus. And that process of growing to become more like Jesus is often a difficult one. It's a painful one. Becoming like Jesus can make us feel really uncomfortable. In fact, sometimes it's easier for us to stay exactly as we are instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring the necessary changes that need to happen in our lives. And so when the Holy Spirit shines the light of Jesus on us, it sometimes feels intrusive and uncomfortable. And a common response for those of us who are followers of Jesus is sadly sometimes the same response as the Pharisees. Rather than engaging in and embracing the stretching and the growing process, we try to find a way around it often by looking to Scripture and making Scripture say what we we want it to say to make ourselves feel comfortable. Now, we can deny that, but I'm telling you, we do that all the time. We see that all the time. Making scriptures say what we want them to say because it makes us feel more comfortable that way. Some examples. When followers of Jesus want material prosperity, scriptures are twisted to make us believe that material prosperity is okay. And Not only is it okay, but it's a sign of greater spirituality to seek spiritual material prosperity. And so we twist it. When followers of Jesus want to immerse themselves in political alliances, scriptures are twisted to justify that it's not only okay to get involved in political alliances, but it's actually God's will. That's what God wants us as believers to do. When followers of Jesus want to avoid responsibility for caring for the poor and the marginalized, scripture is twisted to argue that social justice is a distraction and a threat to the true gospel. I hear it all the time. When the church is uncomfortable with women in positions of leadership, scripture is twisted to argue that men should be the only leaders. I'm thankful that's not the view here. When we're challenged to extend the reach of our love to everyone and anyone, our discomfort with that causes us to take scriptures that we believe secures our position to justify the boundaries that we've established. We do that. Maybe you don't do it. I do it sometimes. Lots of people do. As I reflect on my own life and, you know, as I process these things to talk to you, I hope it brings you comfort to know that I process these things when I also talk to me. (laughs) And as I reflect on my own life, I would say to you that the past few years have been a season of significant growth and change for me personally. Probably as I look back over my whole life, I don't think there's been as much stretching and growing and discomfort um, and change in my whole life as there's been in the last number of years as God has been confronting areas of my life that need change. Areas of my ministry that need change. And I want to admit to you, it's been uncomfortable at times. It's been really uncomfortable. But I am committed to not being stagnant, but being open to the light of Jesus as the Holy Spirit continues to reveal him to me at any cost. I also know that as a pastor, and a big part of that is preaching, is that sometimes that can make people feel uncomfortable. And I've actually wrestled with that. If you ever wonder, like, does he take great joy in making us feel uncomfortable at times? Well, no, not really. Sometimes, a little sadistic, but no, mostly not. But I've even wrestled with, do I, should I just be less challenging, right? Like, I, maybe I should just kind of go easier. Maybe, maybe that's thing. But then I'm reminded that, well, if my goal is for everyone to like what I have to say and cheer when I'm around them, maybe the better thing is just buy an ice cream truck because everybody loves the guy who owns the ice cream truck, right? And they come running. So, no, that, that, that can't be. The point is this. The light of Jesus shining on us will make us uncomfortable. It will. But rather than deflect his light away so we can stay comfortable where we are, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to stretch us and help us to grow to become more like Jesus. And that will include at times admitting that maybe we got it wrong. I see back over my life so many things that I thought I had figured out and I got it wrong. And we need to be able to be open to the Holy Spirit to show that to us and lead us to become more like Jesus. The second is alliances. We live in a world that's broken. A world that is filled with fear and distress. A world where many in our world at this moment while we are gathered here are threatened and unsafe in many different ways, in many different places. God's desire for his people, God's desire for his church, is that we look to him to guide us. We look to him to protect us. That we remain faithful to him and the principles of his kingdom. And in moments of fear, we sometimes panic. In moments of being threatened, we sometimes panic. Our values are threatened and losses appear imminent to us. And so in an attempt to protect what we value, we seek out alliances that promise us safety, just like the Israelites did at the time of Isaiah. And I want to say this morning, we must be careful That these alliances that we seek out are not artificial light. They're not substitutes for the real light that will guide us in the wrong direction, that will result in harm. Folks, I will say, and I've said, and will continue to say, our hope is not found in political parties, our hope is not found in political leaders. Our hope is not found in government legislation and our hope is not found in forming alliances with those who quote scripture when it's convenient but are not shaped by scripture nor do they live by it. And we've seen a lot of that in the past few years. Jesus is the light of the world who brings hope and joy where there is distress and there is darkness. Psalm 20 records a prayer of David. I want to recite it, read it with you this morning. David says this, May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he Remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire in your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant you all your requests. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers them from his holy heaven and his saving power is at his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is written, this is spoken, this is prayed by one of the most powerful, the most powerful military leader in the history of Israel. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm, O Lord. Save the king and answer us when we call. Like the psalmist, we need to say, some trust in political leaders. Some trust in political ideology. Some trust in legislation. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I believe that the church today needs many Isaiahs who will stand up and speak what people do not want to hear because there's an increasing spiritual blindness as we are putting our trust in alliances with political leaders and political ideology. Church history, this is not new. Church history is littered with examples of the church forming political alliances. And let me tell you, a quick study of church history will show you that none of it ended well. None of it ended well. So let's not lose sight of the one who desires to guide us. The one who has promised to protect us. The one true light. Our alliance should be with him. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 and promised recovery of sight to the blind. And throughout the book of Isaiah, blindness is spiritual blindness. The eyes of the people were clouded by their sin, their political alliances, and could no longer see God. Jesus is the one who is the light of the world, bringing light to those who are spiritually blind. So rather than rejecting the light because it makes us feel uncomfortable, let us welcome his light into our lives because Jesus is the light of the world who brings hope and joy where there is distress and darkness. Would you stand with us this morning? I've asked our worship team to lead a very Familiar song this morning. In fact, we ended with it last week as well. But there is a sentence in this song that we have sung, many of us have sung hundreds and hundreds of times. It says, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. Why? Because the light of the world shone upon us. And we welcomed his light in and allowed him to radically change our lives. Andrew, would you lead us this morning?
1: Amazing grace, how sweet My God, I've been set free. My God, my Savior. But God who calls
2: morning, we want to thank you that the writer of that great hymn on a slave ship felt so convicted as your light began to shine into the darkness of his soul, allowing him to see how blind he was and to the words of that song that those words can resonate with us here today for many different reasons, but we just know that any light but Jesus is artificial light. Any light but Jesus is not a light worth following. Any light but Jesus will not bring us hope and a future, but will bring us distress, despair, harm, and failure. And so this morning, we're reminded that you came. You came as the light of the world. And your light has shone on us. And we have responded to you. And I pray that your light will continue to have full access to our lives. And if your light ever becomes uncomfortable for us, that we'll make the changes we need to make to welcome the full value of your love into our lives. And Father, this morning as we leave this place, we're also reminded that you not only said, I am the light of the world, you said you are the light of the world. And so Lord, today, as we reflect the light of Jesus on the sinfulness and the brokenness, the hurting and the pain, the despair, the marginalized, Or may we be people who allow the true light to shine because it's only Jesus that can make a difference in people's lives. And may the true light of Jesus be what we shine from our lives. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to be stretched. Help us to welcome that into our lives as uncomfortable and painful as that growing is. Lord, help us to embrace it because we know that that's what's best for us. And Lord, I pray today as we leave this place that you go with us. We know you will. And I pray that you'd use us wherever we find ourselves, that wherever we are, we would be your light to people. And Lord, I pray today that our eyes would stay fixed on you. And I pray for those who are not able to be here today because of sickness. We pray specifically for Edith this morning, for your healing touch, your strength, your encouragement, and your comfort. Lord, as we leave this place, may we leave knowing that it's only because of your light in our lives that we have hope and a future, that we can live each day in the truth that you provide. And when our fears overwhelm us and we feel threatened and we take matters into our own hands and we look for alternate means to be safe, I pray that you would remind us by your Spirit that it's you and your light that we need to look to. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have a great week, and God willing, we'll see you next Sunday.